Cereal, 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 cereal. Cereal, 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 cereal. This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is Bazaween episode number two of 2020. Oh, that's right. First one's down. We're cheery. We're happy. We're dealing with serial killers. In that previous episode, we brought the heat and did not make fun of a bad, horrible real life situation. The man who kept us on the straight and narrow did not bring dirty humour toilet mouth to the recording was of course the man whose season has dorn his name. He's of course the star of this series. He is the man. He is the myth. He will always be your legend. He is of course the Baz. Hola natural bomb bitches! <laughs> Let's kill some cunts. <laughs> Oh man, we've got so much to talk about when it comes to this movie. I, I watched this yesterday for the first time in a long fucking time, a long, long time. And uh, yeah, I, I have I have things to say after you've said things. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I am doing fine, sir. I am doing fine. Uh, get this recorded. That's two films in the bag. Yep. rocking and rolling towards numero trois. Yes. I think I'm mixing my, not metaphors, my uh, different languages at this, but I don't know where this conversation's going down. <laughs> I um, had, a, had a really strong coffee just as I came onto this call with you and I'm now tucking into my one and only whiskey mac that I'm going to be having tonight. And uh, yeah, 
I'm all over the place. You you had the dizzying caffeine high, and you're now trying to steady yourself with whiskey. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I, I need something to take the edge off that massive crack rock that I smoked as well. Well, yeah, whiskey will do that. Yeah, it does. Science, science tells us whiskey will do that. Mellows the buzz somewhat. <laughs> so, like, I have noticed uh, very, very quickly that um, what you've done with this particular Let's Get Serial uh, series is you just picked really long movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're massive. <laughs> uh, I've, I forgot Natural Born Killers is two hours long. Um, and then, of course, next week it's the house that Jack built, which is over two hours. I want to say, um, and yeah. So, there's, there's, what I'm saying is, we're giving the listeners a lot of bang for their lack of buck because they don't pay for this shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> pay as yeah. money or send it. Yes, we will accept both. Um, <laughs> I will accept the money, Basil accept the nids. So absolutely, absolutely, and that includes you, dudes, as well. Yep, Baz does not discriminate. I do not discriminate. I just want to see the wobbly bits. <laughs> it's funny, sexy Muriel. Um, <laughs> yeah, the less said about that, the better. Uh, so yeah, uh, we we are trundling into our second of five episodes this month. The theme being. Baz is getting serial with five serial killer movies. The first one was, of course, Zodiac. If you've not listened to that episode yet, why are you starting here? That seems like a bad move. Go back and check out the episode we dropped a couple of days ago on The Great and Powerful Zodiac by David Fincher. And we are just on a fucking murderer's row of, you know, huge names of cinema because we're leaving Fincher and going straight into Oliver Stone, a man who does not court controversy at all. I think it's fair to say this is the first Stone movie we've ever done. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, I think this is like the only movie that he has done that could potentially lean towards this genre. Um, He's he's kind of more in line with doing kind of documentaries now. He does a lot of documentaries. In fact, I think he's got one out this year, once again on JFK. This man will not let it go. Back into the left, Baz. Back and to the left uh, <laughs> did you ever did you ever see uh, JFK no and weirdly I've not long ago listened to the series that um, the last podcast on the left did on the JFK assassinations mm-hmm. uh, in fact it was more to do with Lee Harvey Oswald than it was the actual assassination yeah yeah. Um, and obviously Stone's movie get mentioned a lot in that mm-hmm. and I think when I was just doing all my research and that for this, I noticed I'm sure it's on, I think it's Amazon Prime in the UK. Yep. And I remember thinking, oh, I need to watch that. And again, it was another movie that quoted controversy because it it was almost thrown out as absolute gospel, but it's mostly conspiracy theory. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's based on the it's based on the Warren report, but on, on top of that as well, it's a lot of Oliver Stone just taking liberties with with stuff uh, which is very similar to Natural Born Killers which is the which is the next kind of sensationalised feature that he did after he had a movie in between that was less well, in fact actually the movie in between I think was a Vietnam movie so uh, no 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 that's, that was his that was his, I think that was his debut I think uh, Platoon's like his 
first proper big movie. Right. But he, he did a, a... I can't remember. There is a Vietnam movie. I don't think it's about the war. I think it's about the survivors or something in between these. And then he come back with Natural Born. Born on the 4th of July. Was that him? Yeah, that's him as well. Yeah, yeah. That's also the 80s, I think. Um... His 90s outputs weird. 91's JFK. In fact, I, I need to I need to press the button and find out now because this will annoy me for the entire recording, Maz, and I cannot have that. That will absolutely. Not I will ramble on about other stuff in the meantime. <laughs> Primar- primarily the numerous platforms that are now showing the Zodiac film. Oh man, this made my year. Um, God damn it! So yeah, after our. Well, after your colossal rant on the previous episode that Netflix had just brought the Zodiac mere days after you purchasing said Zodiac movie, um, it then just showed up on what we would class as our terrestrial TV. Yeah, BBC One, which everybody (laughs) in this country gets for free. (laughs) Honestly, I could have fucking spewed. (laughs) Furious does not even begin to cover it. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a bit. So yeah, yeah, you can literally see it anywhere. And, and you know what? See if you can't find it. Ping me a fucking email, and I'll just send you my copy because that's about the only way I could this dumb could spit in my face more. <laughs> oh man, the movie was called Heaven and Earth. By the way, it came out in. 1993, and the synopsis is during the Vietnam War, a Vietnamese woman struggles hustling on the streets where she comes face to face with those involved in the conflict around her. So it's basically a prostitute story. Um, okay. But yeah, he did, um, he did, uh, <laughs> did Natural Born Killers, uh, then after that, Nixon. So, I mean, this guy just, he likes taking, shall we say, somewhat controversial subjects and bringing them there, but the, obviously the big thing being that, you know, he took the Warren report, uh, then made liberties, changing some details on here, and uh, Natural Born Killers is based on a script by Quentin Tarantino, or a story by Quentin Tarantino, which Oliver Stone completely changed, and Tarantino has since disavowed. <laughs> so, right. um, so yeah, Tarantino want nothing to do with this fucking movie, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into what Oliver Stone maybe does that might not have been in the the, the Tarantino story, so to speak, uh, when we get to it. But yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a fairly controversial figure, and he's never been on... We're gonna, I think we're going to get a couple of these, actually. I think Lars von Trier certainly has been. Um, yeah. The director of Extremely Wicked directed Blair Witch 2 as his only other feature movie, which has been covered in the summer series, so he's at least been represented once. Uh, some people would argue by a lesser movie to uh you know a genre masterpiece i would say the blair witch 2 is pretty fucking great so back off um even though the director had a fucking miserable time doing it and that's why he doesn't do many movies uh, I, I have seen it and i thought it was all right i like it bands <laughs> and nostalgia plays a big part in that <laughs> um it, it touches my my kind of this has a bitch new metal soundtrack bone um <laughs> So, and just that right way. You open your movie with a fucking pan shot, Marlon Manson fucking 
hammer now. I'm like, yes, you have me. Five stars. <laughs> Check, please. Uh, remember and tip your waiter. Uh, so, but he'd done like he'd done shitloads of document. He did the Paradise Lost documentaries about the West Memphis Three uh, before doing that. So fascinating guy. And then obviously swinging into Man Bites Dog, which has never been reviewed on here. Out with once again appearing on a summer series. So, and this one is a horror. Before we get into discussing this one, is Natural Born Killers even less horror than Zodiac? That is a question we will have to ask ourselves, Baz. Are you asking me now? Oh, save it, save it. I was, okay, I, yeah, okay. I, I, I want to dig into it, but I'm oh, glad I think, they call, I think they call that edging. I, I think... <laughs> oh, I, ju- I just caught that in time there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not now, Baz, hold on. Yeah. Old. Um, so yeah, that's that's a movie we're covering now. You told me a great story about your deprived sleep situation and the fact that you needed a wee pick me up, a feel good movie. You had some options on the old Netflix, and you sat down and watched what movie, Buzz? Are you talking about the one I watched last night, Duncan? I am indeed, and I think our listeners would appreciate to know what that movie was. I watched The Nightingale. <laughs> That's a fun ride. <laughs> Honestly. It ruined wanking for me. It ruined parenthood for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, well, I already hated Australia, so it didn't really ruin Australia for me, but it reinforced my hatred of Australia. Yeah. Um, it ruined the colonial British Empire, which I was a big fan of. Yeah. Fuck that now. Um, yeah. Horrific movie. <laughs> no, all, all joking aside, it is a tremendously powerful, well-made film mm-hmm. that I wish I could forget most of because yeah. it, it lingers with you yeah. in a very unpleasant way. But do you know what? That's a perfectly valid response for good cinema. Eh? If oh, yeah. We've we've done we've done a few movies that've been like that, but so mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're seeking them out on your own now. Um, that 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 makes me happy. Uh, but yeah, there's I think there's a time and a place for it, and I think um, Jennifer Kent is a really fucking great director, like really, really, really great. And the fact that she went from doing the Babadook, which was lauded as being this incredible, uh, you know, horror movie, and then went into like. A, a more grisly subject matter and a time period which I mean is a bit uncomfortable for everyone involved if you know what I mean um, and then did the story the way she did um, which for all intents and purposes is a rape revenge story which is very yeah. 70s grindhouse and she classes it up but by god does she make you feel every fucking second of that movie mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you will age watching it <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I I enjoy a bit of bleakness in my films now. You do indeed, yeah. Um, that that's something that this show has cultivated <laughs> in me over the years. Um, but I am also a big fan of of well made historical pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when you first mentioned the Nightingale to me, this idea that it was in the sort of very early colonial period in Australia, I found fascinating because I don't think. I could have rounded off another film from that kind of time period and location, possibly some of the Ned Kelly kind of stuff. Yeah, but that—that's more about the person. Mm-hmm. But this really does give you a feel for the kind of 
penal colony Australia um, yeah. as, as it was and the I didn't realise that they talk during the film about this war that's coming and it was a film that I, I, I read later on after I'd watched the film it was a period that was actually known as the Black War or something like that in, in Australia mm. this kind of violent confrontation that sprang up between the Aboriginal people and, and the, the colonial British forces that were there at the time um, and, and some of the some of the film that related relating to that was actually more powerful than the sort of the, the rape and the personal story of the girl. Yeah. Um, if not that, it certainly worked in tandem with it. Um, but yeah, you felt battered by the end of it. But what a fucking film, man! Yeah, yeah. What she's, a film, like she is a talent, and it is a yeah. great movie. And it's available on Netflix in the UK for anyone that wants to go and check it out. Just don't watch it at one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, or if you have kids. <laughs> yeah, keep them out there. Um, <laughs> which is what I had to do when watching the movie we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, so we're going to take a short break, ladies and gents. Now, Baz has curated a list of songs. We mentioned it in the previous episode. Um, but he's curating a list of songs to accompany these particular movie reviews. So you're going to get two every single episode. Uh, one just before the movie and one at the end of the show. Uh, so yeah, we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear all the goodness that you usually get in the breaks. And uh, when we return it's time to get into a little bit of Oliver Stone action. A little bit of controversy and a little bit of natural born killers right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies? Meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics and others too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion and background information too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. I saw her standing on her front lawn. She was twirling her baton. Me and her went for a ride, sir. Ten innocent people died from the town of Lincoln, Nebraska. Sort of a four ten on my lap through the badlands of Wyoming. I killed everything. 
a look at where we are and where we're going and you'll be shocked at what he sees Mickey and Mallory feared by thousands Watched by millions. We're fighting. Can't stop fighting. Nobody can. Woody Harrelson, Juliet Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., and Tommy Lee Jones. What do you have to say to your fans? You ain't seen nothing yet. Natural born killers. In the media circus of life, they were the main attraction. And welcome back, ladies and gents. You've just heard the trailer for Natural Born Killers. This movie was released in the UK in 1995, but I believe it was released in the USA in 1994. So, um, 
There you go. Uh, it's directed by Oliver Stone, uh, based on the story by Quentin Tarantino, screenplay done by David Veloz. Uh, this movie has a fucking who's who of of just like acting. Drug addled deviants. It's like the the cast list is fucking ridiculous for this movie. Like, like genuinely, right? This might be the most star studied movie. Ever covered on podcast under this day? Possibly, yeah, yeah. I think so by quite a fucking bit. And it's everything from like genre heavyweights right down to like people that you would not associate with this sort of subject matter. And we're going to get into that. Uh, but at the main kind of page on IMDb, which I'm only reading, I'm not going beyond that, we have Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, Roger, Roger Dangerfield, uh, Rodney, sorry, Dangerfield, Everett Quinton, Jared Harris, Prout, Taylor Vince, Edie McClurg, Russell Means, Lanny Flattery, uh, Olan Jones, um, who I... Oh, she is fucking in this movie. Uh, Robert right Downey. At, right at the start. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Richard Linebeck, Kurt Bolt, Boltz. I think that's who And Ed White. Big Ed White. He's a pinball cowboy. Uh, but there's plenty of others. Tommy Lee Jones. Fucking... The list goes on and on and on uh, in this movie. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb. as two victims of traumatised childhoods become lovers and psychopathic serial murderers irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. It's almost like the story of Duncan and Baz. Well, here's here's the here's the thing here's the thing that suddenly dawned on me pretty quick uh, when watching this movie back is I'd forgotten how preachy um, Oliver Stone really gets her so much fucking finger wagging in this movie, yeah. like to to a point where it became slightly nauseating for me to see him wag one more finger and as someone who like positively jumps with glee every time last podcast at the left and sees another heavy hitter serial killer series which they've just started a new one um oh who are they doing now they're doing fucking titwank uh what's his name he sounds cool uh, I, I will get his surname wrong and that's why I'm jumping to it because the episode one was fucking great um, uh, they are doing fuck off yeah they Arthur Shawcross who's he I, I uh, think we should do that wank he sounded a lot more uh, fun you, Arthur Shawcross you will get into it he's fucking horrible <laughs> he's like a horrible <laughs> horrible 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 guy and they've just kicked off their series and I got giddy the reason I had to check the name is I always want to say Arthur Shawshank but Shawshank's a movie and it's, it's Shawcross um, I don't want to make a full cunt of myself just a partial cunt um, but yeah so I, I, I yeah as someone that gets readily excited by that and in the world that we live just now where true crime is a very fucking popular pastime by many um this movie may be preaching to you in a, in a just try and be a bit more responsible sort of way. Um, but like I said, the thing I want to kind of touch on before I hand it over to you, and we can swing right into this because this review is going all over the place. There's no way this is being linear. I just can't no, see it. No. I, just, I just can't see it. Um, Tarantino has kind of like washed his hands of this. And I mean... I'm sure there, he's given these reasons out there. I have my own reasons as to why I think Tarantino probably has. 
Tarantino has built a career of violent cinema. Like, really, really built a career off it. And whenever he's been questioned on it, his very quick and very sharp response back is, violence is fun. Violence in movies is fun. Violence in real life? No. But violence in movies is fun. Whenever he's been kind of hammered back with a, by a journalist saying, well, don't you feel a bit of responsibility for glorifying violence on the screen? He's like, well, no, because that's entertainment and real life's real life. And, you know, <laughs> violence is fun to direct on screen. Mm-hmm. And then I see Oliver Stone take a Tarantino story, which basically, you know, as bare bones, brass tacks, so to speak, says that the media glorifies violence on the screen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which and, filters out into real life. Yeah, which filters out into real life. I can see why Tarantino is probably wanting to distance himself from that, because that is categorically mm. 100% he does not believe. Like every interview, he doesn't believe it at all. So it's almost like Oliver Stone sought out a voice who was diametrically opposed to the, the, the movie that he wanted to make, and then corrupted the story for it. Um, I'll fuck with this guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so that's my theory on it. And like I say, I'd, I'd be interesting. I didn't do nearly enough research into like Tarantino changes his view on things so much anyway. But that's one thing he's never changed his view on is that violence on screen is violence on screen, and you know you can't be held responsible for how you disseminate it as a viewer. And I kind of agree with him on that. As someone that doesn't believe. And, and censorship and cinema um, or media to an extent um, you know I, I think that it's up to you as the audience to be educated enough to understand that entertainment's entertainment um, and it's why the video nasty thing happened um, interestingly enough natural born killers banned in quite a few countries uh, you know like completely censored and taken right off too dangerous for moviegoers to go and see um, and I don't like that. I don't like that kind of state-sponsored sort of blanket, carte blanche, you don't get to see this movie because we think that you can't understand its, its meaning, its cause, or its, the fact it's entertainment. I, I get prickles go up my back, and then I start thinking we're two steps away from book burning. So, yeah. um, you know and what that, I mean? That's where, I, that's where you and I, our views do cross at that point because yeah. I'm exactly the same. I don't care what it is mm-hmm. let it out yeah. let people read the book let them watch the film let them listen to the music one by putting a ban on it you're only promoting it of course <laughs> and two who the fuck are you to decide yeah yeah, you know. Um, um, I mean, see, yeah, how, see how the world you there. see how the world caved in on itself and became an absolute shit heap post the Sex Pistols. You know how like yeah. everything just went became complete anarchy. All the buildings burned. We all overtoppled the government, and you know, you know how all that stuff happened because of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, yeah. The, the band, the band that couldn't make a second fucking album. Yeah, <laughs> like so. But the, think... the band that could barely finish touring the first. <laughs> <laughs> I know, this is what I mean. It's like, yeah, ah, uh, well. Um, let's get into this one. I am genuinely interested because this is a movie I just assume everyone's seen. Everyone of a certain age has seen this movie because it's pretty much all anyone talked about for 
a good year after it came out. Yeah. It was Natural Born Killers. I remember my big brother had the fucking poster um, in his room. Um, and I listened to the soundtrack pretty much on fucking loop. Before I even knew who Nine, in- Nine Inch Nails were, um, I, you know, my, my brother had the soundtrack and I was listening to it. Um, and Trent Reznor, he was the producer of the soundtrack, which is why there's a few Nine Inch Nails songs in here uh, and why maybe they take prominence in certain scenes. Because mm-hmm. Trent Reznor, motherfucker. Um, Baz, you sat down finally, finally, finally capturing the 90s. Like, Baz is the 90s. We've established that in this yep. show. That's yep. your fucking decade, man. You own that shit. No um, bars, no 90s. Yep, no bars, no 90s. That is the rule. That's and what they say. That is what they say. And you've now just ticked off arguably one of the more controversial movies of said decade. Uh, let the listeners out there know what you made of Natural Born Killers. Buckle up, bitches. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird one. Um... As you say, like, like this came out in 94, 95. I mean, that's right slap bang in the middle of my kind of student days. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just sort of transitioning from college and going to university at that point in time. And that whole period for me, cinema-wise, was really drenched in Tarantino because I can remember uh, Reservoir Dogs, th- th- this um, kind of buzz about this film. Yep. That we you couldn't see it wasn't released in the cinema like that over here at the time. I think I eventually got a VHS copy of it to watch, and it was this the most amazing cinematic experience in the last thirty years. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, then it was a good film. Um, so there was that, and so there was that buzz that you were hunting about to try and get a copy of this thing. Then Pulp Fiction came along, and that was when it was in the cinemas, and we're all flocking to the cinemas. I remember going out drinking with my pals in my college class, and then all going on mass about two o'clock in the afternoon to see Pulp Fiction. Um, and then Natural Born Kills came out, and while it wasn't directed by him, obviously, they were throwing his name at everything. <laughs> the minute you get mentioned, there was the buzz about it. And I cannot tell you why I didn't see this film, particularly in light of the controversy around it, and as you say, the, the, the sort of associated buzz that that brought with it, it was everything that was talking about, you know, and you're seeing things on the news. Now, it wasn't banned in this country, but you're seeing things in the news about the concern that people are having that it's blurring the lines between fiction and reality and like that. Oh, fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't really know why... I never saw it. I've obviously, I've seen little clips of parts of it. You know, you can't avoid it. Especially if you ever watch one of these top 100 fucking whatevers of the 90s. Yeah. It's, Natural born killers will creep in there somewhere. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Nine Inch Nails. I, I was a heavy fan of Nine Inch Nails in their first album. Yep. And I have never really listened to anything beyond that. Not for any one reason or another. I think I played Pretty Hate Machine to death so much that I just kind of almost sickened myself of the band and never pursued them any further than that. Mm. But I, I heard that my friend Peter um, was a very good swimmer. He swam for Scotland uh, in the Commonwealth Games out in, I want to say, Auckland. Oh, right, wow. Um, and he then 
when he finished high school, he went out to New Mexico on a swimming scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I always remember the first summer, he was out like a year or two years older than me, ahead of me at school. And that first summer when he came back, he brought all these cassettes that he'd recorded over there kind of thing. And one was Green by R.E.M. Mm-hmm. And the other was Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. And the Nine Inch Nails one in particular, I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Never heard anything like that whole industrial beat and everything. You know, obviously it had a kind of very metallic sound to it. There yep. was no such thing as new metal at that time. So yeah, um, that has fuck all to do with this film review. I just wanted to tell you that I was listening to them before you. Well, I, I think that's <laughs> son of a bitch, son of a bitch. Yeah, like, I, but then again, I'm also forty years older than you, so it's only to be expected. I, I mean, it's like as as worth saying the reason there's a significance of like that. Nine Inch Nails are my favourite band. I mean, I, yes. I unashamedly like love them. Everything they've done, um, and it's weird that like I always equate the first ad first like everyone the first uh, well except you uh, and people that are older um, the first album I heard was the Downward Spiral so yeah. which came out the same year I, I want to say it came out like Downward Spiral was 94 um, so and they played Woodstock I, th- I think like the year before this or two years before this um, on the Broken EP so I mean like like Trent Reznor is at peak Reznor he's at peak Rez mm-hmm. at, at this point and I want to say this is the first. This is the first soundtrack that he did in the nineties. But he would also go off and do he would curate the Crow and Lost Highway. So you know what I mean. He was doing all right by himself, but it's weird that he's linked to this once again. I don't associate Trent Reznor, who sings about self abuse and God knows what else, as being equated to. I can see why he'd be attracted to it because of the central characters and. You know their past, and that's that's fertile subject matter. If you're an industrial, you know, industrial metal songwriter, yeah. um, but the what the movie necessarily stands for, I don't necessarily think Trent Reznor. Maybe he never watched it. Maybe he didn't ask. Fuck it, it was money. He got paid as long as he got paid, and he was on all the fucking drugs at that time as well. So I'd be surprised oh, if he even remembers being involved. <laughs> that damn too. Damn now I don't know whether a review Pretty Hate Machine or Natural Born Killers can make up a fucking mind now. Yeah, Fuck was... it. it's Halloween. We'll just do the film. <laughs> I was up above it, Baz, and now I'm done in it. So, <laughs> fucking love it. That's because you get ahead like a hole, you clown. Oh, man. I fucking, <laughs> fucking love you more than I ever have, oh. or that is healthy to love a friend. Um, who is fucking on Google Hangouts with me and could easily see my dick if I stood up right now. Uh, uh, Right, Natural Born Killers. Fuck it, let's talk about Natural Born Killers. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Not a film I had seen, but a film that I was almost overly familiar with despite having never seen it kind of thing just because of when it came out and the whole hype and aura uh, around this movie. Yeah. Uh, so the film itself, the opening scene set in a diner, um, and we very abruptly meet the the two kind of anti-heroes of this film, uh, the infamous Mickey and Mallory, played by Woody Harrelson, um, who was really, I think, at the height of his career at this point, so he'd come out of Cheers, mm-hmm. the hapless fucking barmaid, a barman even. Um, 
but he done by this point I think there was things like indecent proposal mm-hmm. white the, the the wildly racist white men can't jump mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then a number of these kind of films at the time but I think probably this one was the one that really garnered them the reputation mm-hmm. um, and uh, Mickey's Paramour Mallory, played by the delectably mental Juliet Lewis, <laughs> um, who I don't actually think is even really acting an awful lot anymore. Um, certainly, I'm more familiar with her musical output these days, Juliet and the Licks, her band. Yeah, um, she, she stopped doing the... I think she dropped the Licks and just started doing, like, Juliet Lewis albums. I think she, she may very well have done um, yeah. Joy... LaRocca, who's better known as Joey Briggs, who was the guitarist and singer in one of my favourite punk bands, The Briggs from LA, mm-hmm. um, actually toured and I think did the session work on her albums playing guitar um, mm-hmm. for the, the last couple of tours kind of thing, but I don't think he's been doing that for a while, so you might be right, she may have actually kind of dissolved the band now. Yeah, I think she just went off and just did I, I, I remember her doing a standalone Juliet Lewis album uh, and she had two Juliet Lewis and the Licks albums, and I'll be—I I loved them. I thought they were really, really, really good. I, she's got a, a, she's got a specific tone that I think really fucking suits mm-hmm. the the sort of music that she was doing. Um, and she once again, this is kind of we're in and around her doing uh, from Dusk Dawn about this time period as well. Once again, oh, based, God, yeah. yeah, starring alongside Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, based on a Quentin Tarantino script. Uh, Tarantino was like true romance. That's also Tarantino. Like, tar- yeah. like he he did Reservoir Dogs, and then must have made a fucking fortune selling scripts. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Must have, must have. But yeah, so I mean, she's about that time period as well, having starred in that movie. So she had a bit of prominence about her um, as an actress. So you've got two. Fairly hot names in cinema pushed together, playing two roles that they haven't ever really been. You know, you wouldn't typecast Woody Harrelson. Maybe you would now, but you wouldn't have typecast him back then as psychopathic serial killer, would you? No, he was hapless Woody from Cheers. Exactly, that's what I mean. But so it's so against the the cast of what you would have done that I think it, it's kind of genius. Yeah, absolutely, and it's just a, a real shame. That that very kind of heady concoction was completely overshadowed uh, by Patricia Arquette's uh, turquoise bra in True Romance, which is possibly one of the greatest cinematic scenes of all time. Moving on from that. <laughs> right, so we're in the diner. We've just met Mickey and Mallory. There is no real introduction to any of this. No. We're just sat in the diner. There's a rather dejected-looking... Uh, counter staff, who is that Olan, whatever her face's name is that you mentioned earlier on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mickey orders a piece of the world's worst key lime pie. Yeah, that is jello that's on top. That, that is, is green jello, yeah. That is not key lime pie. That, that's I'm, a light, lime jello pie. Yeah, I am not an American, so I, you know, don't know the, the intricate workings of a key lime pie. However, I know that's not one. Yeah, that is absolutely fucking not one. And that is going to make you hallucinate like shit when you eat it with goddamn colouring in that thing. Um, anyway, he chows down in this disgusting pie. We Mallory, she gets up and really just does a stripper routine dressed as what can only be described as a sexy Pocahontas. 
<laughs> now, if I, if I sound in any way disappointed in that, I can assure you I am not. I'm uh, only disappointed that the top never came off, to be quite frank. Mm. Uh, although I'm slightly dodgy on what her age was in this film, so I'm not going to push that too much. Yeah, yeah. I, while, while you're talking, I will do a bit of research, and then that way we'll know <laughs> how many of the jokes that you are about to use in this episode can actually stay out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so while she's up doing this dance anyway, there's a few locals in the diner and they are just getting real randy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, a truck full of rednecks roll in uh, and one of them clearly fancies a bit of the old non-consensual, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Um, uh, she was, uh, by the way, 21. Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> Full steam ahead, donkey boy! <laughs> <laughs> Next stop, the wank bank. <laughs> oh, the whiskey max kicking in. Um, right, so there's this potential rapist comes in, uh, and his fat mate uses a very inappropriate use of the p word. Oh yeah, man um, was not digging that. And it's then accompanied by, frankly, criminal dancing. Which is the guy? The guy's dance moves are worse than anything he'd have done if he'd have raped her. Do you know what I mean? But, uh, oh, and it certainly, it certainly would have deserved a far more severe jail sentence. Uh, anyway, young sexy Pocahontas is not enamoured with it either way, and it proceeds to, to beat the shit. Out of the dancing idiot. Yeah. Uh, and then Mickey just fucking kills everyone. <laughs> uh, apart from a fat guy. Yeah. He lets the fat guy go. Uh, although he, he, they appear to leave him alive in order to make sure that he can tell everybody who did this. Yeah. And they are very clearly already kind of reveling in their uh, notoriety. Mm-hmm. They have a wee dance and a bit of necking. Um. Interestingly, in, in the, the scenes, so when it all kicks on, Samara starts beating on the redneck and, and Mickey just starts fucking shooting people. And you can already see the um, the kind of odd like, visual techniques and stuff that Stone mm-hmm. throws into this movie, that particularly when he shoots uh, he shoots one of the counter staff mm-hmm. and the bullet kind of stops in front of her head. She's got this comical kind of shocked look on her face and it kind of spins in and then it hits some a knife goes through the window and it, 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 it's it, it has a very striking visual style and one of the things that always stuck with me and it's possibly may have lent itself to the reason why I didn't ever watch this film is a lot of people I remember at the time went to see this film and hated it ah. and it's because I, I think they were expecting this kind of all out action Mm-hmm. slash serial killer movie with these two sexy young things shooting and killing people and fucking all over the place and it, it was not like that at all it, there are very abstract parts mm-hmm. in this film which we'll cover you know as we go on it, it's not an easy linear watch this film oh no 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 Definitely. but because of 
the hype around Tarantino and, and his work at that time, a lot of mainstream cinema goers, and in particular young guys, mm-hmm. went to see this movie. Um, and as I say, we're in the opening scene, we're about three, four minutes into this movie. Yeah. And I can, I can just imagine, I can see the people in my head, the minute that bullet stopped in front of that woman's head and the goofy look in her face kind of going, what the fuck? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? What's that about? Yeah, he states, um, he, states his, he states his claim very, very early on in this movie that, you know, this is not going to be the movie that you think. Even, even the use of, and this is a repetitive use all the way through it, of dialogue being said and then we cut to essentially the same scene but it's kind of glorified black and white yeah um, and the same dialogue said again by the actors so it's almost as if he's, he's shot it one way and then reshooting it another way to- yeah it's like it cuts to kind of super 8 film and stuff like that through I, it yeah and yeah. I don't I don't know like I, I have a hundred theories as to why that might be but um I, I just like, I'd forgotten I like once again coming back to it I thought I remembered that that was a technique used in this movie. I had not remembered that it's used as much in this movie. Oh, it's littered all the it's, way through. It's all yeah. the way through. It's all the way through. I thought it was just one of these things you used every now and again, but no, no, no. Mm. Start to finish. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a jarring film to watch visually. Yeah. Um, you know, it flicks about a lot, and as you say, that the the visual style of it changes, you know, almost on a minute-by-minute basis. Yeah. Um, as, it, as it flicks between it within the same scene, you yeah. know, as you've outlined it. I've got, I've got a theory. I've got a theory which we'll get to at the end as to why it does that, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Fair enough. Looking forward to that immensely, Doug. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm just <laughs> putting that. I, I, I was going to jump right in with it, and then I remembered that last episode I got my bollocks chewed by Baz when I stole your great epiphany at the end. So don't want to yeah. do that. Yeah, not going to bust the bubble though. Uh, I understood very little about this film, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just lucky I got to the goddamn end of it. To be quite honest, <laughs> um, so that's that's an opening scenes, and it then cuts from there into the kind of opening credits of the movie, which is done like a very kind of stylized road movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of uh, stationary film of them in the car with a background movie whizzing by them as if they're travelling kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all this is done over the opening credits, but a real rad kind of opening soundtrack. Lots of different songs pieced together very effectively. Uh, I wasn't aware that Reznor had done the whole soundtrack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he curated it. So he's a yeah, yeah. Did some, yeah. But he picked, he picked uh, to my, the best of my knowledge, he picked all the music, so... Yeah, nailed it. No. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> Um, we then come in, so the, the that all finishes with them kind of out in the desert. The sort of the road movie kind of finishes out there, and we get this kind of trippy nighttime desert scene. Lots of fucking stars overhead and all this kind of stuff. Um, Mallory takes a piss. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't focus on that as much as they should have. Um, you know, a little bit. Of, a little bit of the old water sports never hurt Andy. Um, nice. Although it does get her quite randy. And she, she, she kind of goes into the counting how they met, which then leads into the first of these kind of big jumps. So we essentially get a, a 
little film within the film type thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's done like a kind of 60s sitcom. I think it's called uh, I Love Mallory or something like that. It's clearly based on I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. um, albeit in colour. But it's we see her at home uh, and, and her family unit kind of thing. Rodney Dangerfield is playing a revolting father. Oh, uh, Edie something or other plays the mother. I had to Google her to find yeah. out where she was from because it was driving me fucking nuts. She'd been in loads. <laughs> yeah, well, she was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She was yeah. the school secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and that's where I knew her from. Mm-hmm. Well, some wee prick dressed as Paul Stanley but he doesn't fucking... <laughs> Nobody cares. Um, yeah, so it's done, it's done like this kind of I love Lucy. So lots of uh, canned laughter, dodgy sets and all this. Mm. Um, she, she's dressed, I suppose, as a kind of punk rocker type idea and that she's got the leopard print mini dress on with the fishnets and all this kind of stuff trying to go out to a concert um, the, the family characters are all kind of like extreme caricatures of kind of the suburban stereotype do you know what yep. I mean uh, the dad is a completely kind of OTT drunk who is molesting her um, yeah, which you don't is, shy away from at all. No, it is incredibly seedy. Yeah. I, I fucking don't like that Rodney Dangerfield guy. I never have. There's just something about him, but it's genius casting. Oh, it's brilliant casting. For, for this particular scene, um, he's absolutely vile in it. Um, and the, the, the canned laughter elevates that to a new level you know what I mean he is you see him groping her um, and he basically says he's going to go upstairs and fuck her and all that and you know the wife makes this kind of almost throwaway comment that the wee brother's only there because the dad was so drunk he thought he was in Mallory's room yeah you know and all, it, it's awful and of course there's laughter every three four seconds coming and it just makes the whole thing really hideous feeling an amazingly well done scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really brilliant. so so effective. Um, but again, I, I can almost see like, the kind of guys I'm at college going like, yeah. ah, what, the, what fuck? the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> like she looks quite hot there, but what, what's that all about? Why is her dad boning her? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the the doorbell then goes, and, and we get the Mickey coming in, and you get the whole hey. Clapping yeah. and all this from the can laughter machine, and he's almost brought in as this kind of hero. He's delivering a big bag of fucking meat, which is weird. Um, there's some outrageous flirting between him and Mallory, and then they basically steal the dad's car and take off. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of sitcommy bit ends at that at that point. Uh, I'd like to see a very very well-crafted bit of cinematography, not to sound like too much of an arse, but um, <laughs> really quite uncool to watch. It really makes you feel seedy, but that's what it, it's there for. It's also uh, like something like kind of post, with, with like time proves certain things right in the long run, but I, I, I recently linking back to podcasts recently listened to uh, a podcast about bill cosby oh yeah yeah and like when you listen to it was, it was like people that did like guest appearances on the cosby show 
that he was doing that shit to for years, yeah. whilst being on a show where he's, you know, doing the, the dad role and the canned laughter and that and all the rest. And watching this back this time, I was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. your skin fucking crawls, man. Absolutely mm. crawls. Um, and once again, plays an theory that I have later on. Yeah. Oh, fucking big Bill Cosby. One can only hope that his ass is completely prolapsed from the anal rape he's experienced in prison. Anyway. <laughs> Problem is, you'll not see it coming now. He's fucking blind. Oh, is he? Oh, he's, he's fucking he's blind blind, I think. Really bad glaucoma or something. I think he's... So yeah, he's not like he's not like Harvey Weinstein can't walk sort of. <laughs> he's like actual blind, blind. So uh, yeah, people would okay, just fucking you, you, wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to see what was happening to you. Be quite honest. No. <laughs> um, oh my god. We then that this scene then moves on uh, to we find out that Mickey's then arrested for grand theft auto for taking the car, mm. um, and he ends up going to jail. Uh, there is a heartbreakingly ungraphic depiction of Mallory jerking him off in prison. Um, I'd I like to see a lot more oral at that point. I think. <laughs> Fucking just go for it. Do you know what I mean? Come your on, Oliver, go- you're edgy. Yeah, film's going to get banned in half the fucking countries anyway, man. Just <laughs> you may as well. Fucking well dick. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And don't giant. don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong, Mickey, return the favourite of the girl, yes. do you know what I mean? But let's just see that too. I just imagine suck his dick being the, the large foam finger you have in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not to mention what I'm screaming at the fucking screen in yes. front of everybody. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Sorry, I've just remembered that fucking line I said when we watched Fright Night. Yep. If, if, if she if, puts his dick in her mouth. This is the greatest film days. ever. God damn. Um, yeah, the, the whole scene uh, with the two of them in the, the prison, like her visiting them in prison, it's all kind of done in black and white and it's, all, it's almost like a kind of fucking homage to something like Casablanca. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts to portray them as the kind of star-crossed lovers torn apart by the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she starts going on about how her dad's going to move them away so that Mickey can never find her and all that. And he's like, I'll, I'll never fucking... I'll never forget you. I'll never stop looking. And then she just leaves them absolutely blue-balled. She right, does right get at up. the end. She, yeah. Is that agent bias, is it? I felt so sorry for Woody Harrelson at this point that had I been there, I'd have finished him off. <laughs> I just can't fucking leave a guy like that. That's just cruel. Oh, hear me. That's that's well out of order. Just like just right. just just put it in there. Sorry. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Two seconds. I'll only be a minute. You'll feel better. There we go. Right, we're all done. We're all done. Clean that up. I'm away to shower. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey's then out working in a chain gang although on a ranch I don't think that happened I don't think they let the convicts ride horses because it's just asking for fucking trouble yeah sure enough a tornado turns up Mickey steals a fucking horse and off he goes into the fucking wind 
Um, he then turns up at the, back at the house to rescue her, belts the old man with a tire iron, uh, and the two of them basically drown him in a fish tank. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they then torch the mother in her bed. Now, yep. granted, she was a fucking enabler and a, a horrible old bitch, but really, for torching your mom in bed takes some fucking doing. <laughs> um, they then get married in what I have described here as a vertigo-inducing bridge in the fucking middle of nowhere, and there is a bit right at the start of this scene. Yeah. They can, uh, they're throwing stuff over this bridge, over the side of the bridge, rather, and... They start to talk and Juliet Lewis like, puts herself up on yeah. the railings like in her kind of midriff and kind of leans over and her feet are clearly off the ground. Yeah, not I cool. physically pissed myself at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's not cool. It's not cool. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of heights. So like that to me is like... well, And also I was thinking, would that... I don't think anyone would get clearance to do that now. No. No, no, not like anyone does. There's green no harness. That bitch. Yeah, there's no, no way I'm getting up there. Plus, the camera is clearly mounted on a dolly that then goes like hangs over that. Fuck that for a job. Like <laughs> yeah. that would not be me. You could not pay me to do that. So, uh, yeah. So they, they get married, uh, which involves a kind of blood brothers palm cutting thing. Mm-hmm. And then Mickey officiates his own wedding because he's. He, I think he claims that he's the god of his world at this point, so he's therefore entitled to marry them. Yeah, I didn't know we could do that. So neither things, was I. I mean, I could have saved myself a goddamn. Fortune. Yeah, things are going to change in this household. <laughs> Winter. That's how you're getting married, then. I yeah. ain't paying for shit. <laughs> That's right. You're going to a I, bridge, and he's doing it. I am the god of my own world, so I will officiate. Right? Okay. Yeah. What do you mean that's not how marriage works? It is now. <laughs> do you mean it's not legally binding? It is now. Uh, th- this scene is the first one that's kind of interspersed with this kind of Pink Floyd style animation. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of The Wall, the movie The Wall. Yep. And the kind of animation that, that filters through all of that. And that, again, continues through the film, which, again, I could see pissing off <laughs> a certain section of the cinema-going audience at that time. Uh, it then cuts to the best thing in this film, which is big fucking RDJ. You can stick your Bazooine 2020 up your arse. This is the Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> fucking show <laughs> for the next five weeks. Uh, he was in the last film, he's in this one. I really hope he's in the next three. Um, <laughs> he is brilliant in this. He plays an Australian TV investigative journalist slash presenter type thing called yeah. Wayne Gale. He's um, he's, he's, um, he's uh, manifesting his best Paul Hogan. If, if Paul Hogan <laughs> pumped Mel Gibson and they had a ridiculously good looking baby. Yeah, he's, he's, his accent at times is fucking brilliant. Yeah. At other times distracting and fucking honking. Like really, like that's not how Australians talk. Like there's there's just certain words where I'm like that, that, and then other whole sentences I'm like, you are fucking on point there. And then other times I'm just like, oh no. I fully disagree. I don't care. He's amazing. I, I, you just you just love him. I, 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 I do. I do. I, <laughs> yeah. 
going to say something really inappropriate there. I'm not going to bother him. Pull back. Yeah. Skate, skate on. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's the presenter of a TV show called American Maniacs. Which I, I haven't set my series record for that bad I would boy. have watched it. Definitely would have watched it. It's my sort of show. <laughs> totally. Um, and again, and this is clearly a pastiche of a lot of these kind of... Uh, Real cop slash true crime stuff, cops and all these shows, which were starting, they were considered edgy at that time. You oh, know, gotcha. they were just starting to come out. Folk hadn't seen a lot of stuff like that before. Um, it's tremendously well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really like that. Uh, he is doing a show on Mickey and Mallory. Um, so we see a sort of a, a recreation scene. So this is telling you more of the story of the two of them but it's not actually them, it's actors playing them, if you like. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's them killing a cop outside the donut shop. And I, I really love that. The, this, this kind of twisted narrative style that Stone puts into this film, I wasn't sure about. Like I say, I have my suspicions. It's maybe why I didn't go and see this film or watch it mm-hmm. back in the day. I think this particular scene really kind of done it for me. It's like the reason I, I really loved Grave Encounters. Oh, yeah. I'm, t- I'm totally with you. This whole section here is 100% my bag. Yeah, like, brilliant. Totally love it. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and my... <laughs> the funniest bit in the whole film, and I feel like an arse for laughing at this, but there's a bit during the enactment of the chase scene between mm-hmm. the cops, the two of them, and like that. Tragedy <laughs> struck when... Uh, Olympic gold bronze medalist so and so and it's like oh, this athlete is cycling Mallory just fucking shoots him <laughs> as they drive by oh it's howling howling at it brilliant <laughs> absolutely throwing in for no reason in comic effect <laughs> loved it loved it um, yeah. and then we start to see that and they really start to bring in the kind of media side of it now because we then start to see the public getting interviewed about them. Mm-hmm. You know, teenagers and all that. She's really hot and he's really cool and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, obviously they're murderers, you know, but if I was going to be killed by somebody, I'd want it yeah, to be yeah. Mickey and Mallory, all this kind of bollocks. Um, all over the cover of the magazines and stuff like that. And and I think that probably resonated because it would have been round about this time that Cobain killed himself. 94, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, of course, at that, there was then, there was this, I want to use the word alleged, but I think there was at least a couple of cases of it, the, the copycat suicides after he had shot himself. Um, so, so the, the, whether this was intended to kind of mimic that, I don't know. Uh, I'm not quite sure if the timings are right, but it certainly resonated with me. April back on 19, that kind of I just double checked here, April 1994, so it would have been before the film was made. Yeah. Or during the film production. During so the I think film, you might be yeah. Right. I think you might be right. So to me, that reflected quite heavily on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it then cuts back to the actual kind of the real Mickey and Mallory, if you like, uh, who are still on the run. Uh, Mickey talks about taking a hostage at this point. Mm-hmm. So they're, ba- they're basically on this like hu- huge chase, essentially. So it's like in a road movie, but the whole thing is a cop cab chase. But they are talking about not having seen any cops for a while and all this. He's talking about uh, taking a hostage. Uh, 
you start to see Mallory's kind of instability at this point because she gets really fucking jealous and insecure about this whole thing. Uh, they hole up in a motel. Uh, Mickey watches Lion Porn, which was a weird fucking choice. But... I wondered, of all the things that were shown on that TV, if you would, if the first thing you would talk about in this scene was two lions humping. And I um, I, you know, the thing is, when that scene popped up, I was like, he's gonna, he's gonna talk about this because, like, the, the imagery is like there's so much other imagery you could like, but that line is going to town. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you can almost <laughs> smell its balls. That odd aroma, the odd aroma, the sweat as it ruts, the female lion, the lioness mixing with its fur. It's powerful. It's powerful. Fuck, At- fuck Attenborough. Let's get Baz doing the voiceover and oh, some of these. Yeah, yeah. be a lot more fucking balls in that. Fucking <laughs> in fact. I know what I would be calling my remake of Blue Planet. Let's you know, not, what, know what I'm saying? Let's not go there. Yeah. Let's not go well, there. know what I'm saying. And also, also think if, like, well, as we've established, Baz is a generous one. So, like, if the, the lioness, for whatever reason, had to leave, and that lion was left blue balled, would Baz help out there as well? Damn too. <laughs> Damn too. Although I'd probably take out like a fucking carrier bag with me or something. You can only imagine that fella gushes. Do you know what I mean? Pints. Pints of lion semen. That's a sense I never thought I'd hear. <laughs> Pints of lion semen. Yeah. yeah. Oh. See, when you said the tangents this fucking show was going to take the night. Oh, yes. You didn't see that being one of them, did you? Did not. I played this like, I played this like three-dimensional chess and that was one move I didn't see, so. <laughs> Checkmate, sir. Checkmate. <laughs> Lion spunk. Oh, God. Headshot. Boom. Game <laughs> over. Match to the Baz. Um, <laughs> I just want to talk about Lion Born now. Um, he gets really mad that she took her ring off. He's probably just jealous of the lion. Uh, they then born in front of Ladybird Porn, which is not as cool as the lion stuff, it has to be said. No. Just didn't get me going the same way. <laughs> uh, but then, the, what's, what I did like about this thing was the camera then pans round, so this has been quite, not a lengthy scene, but there's been a couple of minutes of dialogue between them. Mm-hmm. Then they start boning and the camera pans round and there's a woman tied up and gagged in the corner. Yeah. You kind of assumed they hadn't taken the hostage because of the way she'd reacted. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mickey's giving her the old glad eye when he's born in Mallory. That's a risky game to play, right? <laughs> right. I'm not saying I didn't play that game in the nineties. <laughs> I've done a lot of weird shit. What I will say is, I didn't play it twice. You didn't know, no, 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 you never play that game twice, sir. Because see, if you win the first time round, just keep the fucking trophy. Cash yourself out. Keep that that trophy, cash out, and just tell your mates, but but swear them to goddamn secrecy. Um. (laughs) So he keeps giving up the fucking glad eye. Then he just throws the dice on a threesome. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's a bold move. Yeah. 
What did I say about taking the trophy? Quitting yeah. while you're ahead, Mickey. Does Mallory strike you? That <laughs> you saw how mad she got when you said you wanted to take a lady hostage. Right? How mad do you think she's going to get when you say you want to eat another lady's ass? Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Because that's what I'd have gone first. <laughs> um, so that this dice rolling backfires horrifically. Mallory storms out. We're left then. Where you're left as to whether did he rape that woman at that mm. point? I think he probably did. I think also think, probably did. I also th- I noticed that like this scene, like from Dust Till Dawn has a, a very similar scene. Yes, yeah, it does actually. So which also makes me think Tarantino had this idea rolling around in his brain for a while in story form. And maybe he just like put it in because I'm assuming the script's written about the same time, but it's a similar setup. You know, two convicts, one leaves yeah. the room with a hostage. Except yeah. in from Dust Dawn when they come back and obviously Tarantino himself has murdered uh, the hostage um, and it's insinuated raped her. Yeah, I, I mean, I could, I get where you're coming from. I think the way I would see it though is when he was writing the script, he's probably like that, right? Foot wank. God. Or violent rape. Which one? is going to make me look like a creepier dick. I don't think my star is rising high enough quite yet to bring in the feet quite so blatantly. Yep, yep, yep. I, it so, will take me several years, uh, many Oscar nominations, maybe a potential Oscar win, and the world to accept that I am, like, some sort of like absolute uber maestro of cinema before I can just come out and without acknowledging it, just about that, I like feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like at the Oscars, when he rises out his seat, he's actually sitting on one of his own feet, <laughs> which is Tony's up his arse. ass. Yeah, Tony's arsehole. Nice. Tony's arse. Mm. Very talented man. <laughs> <laughs> The, you know the limits of his talent do not do not stop at no bounds no bounds uh, Malady cruises around looking for a revenge fuck Baz wishes he was there Baz <laughs> leaps into his car <laughs> he's fucking DeLorean goes back in time that's it that's it uh, she goes into a, a, a garage uh, and uh, she starts boning the wee attendant guy. Here's a thing. Do you know who he was? Yeah, I, I know the actor, but I can't remember the name. His name is Balthazar Getty. Yes, because he's in... Um, once again... Whoa, links! Like, just fucking all boom, come... Boom, boom. It's like, like fireworks everywhere, who's also in uh, Lost Highway and uh, Mulholland Drive... David Lynch and what did we establish we established that Trent Reznor also fucking scored Baz Lost Highway there we go the perfect drug the perfect drug um, the reason this caught my is neat I think it was maybe the IMDB thing or something I looked up and Balthazar Getty was one of the names that was there Tommy Lee Jones wasn't 
like like not the full obviously he was in the full cast list but in the yeah. little kind of bit at the start and I was like that for some reason if it's not for some reason I don't know if you're old enough to remember Sky Magazine no it was a bit like kind of like Esquire it was that kind of glossy high end magazine for men mm-hmm. you know women could quite happily read it but it, it was kind of the, the marketed towards men yeah. women had a lot of magazines and this was kind of marketed towards guys in their kind of late teens early 20s um, it was like FHM without all the fucking see through knickers yeah um, so it was, it was genuinely quite interesting in music films and all that kind of stuff and, and I had remember I'd, for some reason that I bought this copy and it was like up and coming stars for the 90s. Mm-hmm. I remember Drew, there was a picture of Drew Barrymore and oh my god. Drew, Drew I, Barrymore up, in the 90s, Jesus oh, Christ, yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> uh, up until that point, she was just that weird kid, wee kid in fucking ET and then I saw this picture of her and things changed dramatically. <laughs> um, but Balthazar Getty get mentioned in it because obviously he is one of the Gettys. Yes. Like the rich bastards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I had just pulled my uh, microphone uh, headphone <laughs> jack out my laptop there. I was so excited. You it like Baz was bouncing in his seat. Yeah, I know. I was lurching forward to try and Google fucking pictures of Drew Barrymore for the nineties there. Um, yeah, so Balthazar getting one of the gays, and I think at the time he was touted as being the next big thing. Like the it was the kind of second wave of the Brat Pack. So we'd had like Emilio Estevez and fucking. Rob Lowe and all these kind of guys. There was this new wave of them coming and he was mentioned as one. He didn't ever really rest it. The only kind of lead role I think he ever had was Lord of the Flies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Lord of the Flies. And he appeared in Young Guns, I want to say two. That's spot on as well. That he was in the second Young Guns movie. But following on from them, it was really just kind of little bit part things. And I watched this movie, and at the end of all of that, where the fuck was Balthazar Getty and all of that? Yeah. And it was on my second watch that I clocked that he was the the attendant that she bones on the hood of a car as Jane's addiction plays in the background. One second, oh, Trent so, so thank you, Trent, because at this time when this film came out, that uh-huh. was probably been my favourite band. Yeah, I was obsessed with Jane's addiction in the nineties. Anywho. Um, that was probably more coverage than Balthazar Getty's had in the last 20 years. I was about to say, like, to me, like, I, he, he's a really, I think he's a fucking really interesting actor. Like, I think he's he's worked specifically in Lost Highway. Um, have you ever seen Lost Highway? Don't think so. No, so there's a, there's a time period in that movie where, because it's a lunch movie and he can do whatever the fuck he wants, um, a, the central character played by Bill Pullman goes into a prison cell and wakes up as Balthazar Getty and is basically that character for the second half of the movie. Alright. Yep. That sounds like a, David, a fucking David Lynch film. Yep. Um, and he doesn't explain it. He doesn't have to. I, I've, no. I, I, I've, I've given my explanation for it. But yeah, he's, he's. I always thought he was a fucking great actor um, and he doesn't do much now. He probably doesn't need to, to be fair. He is fucking loaded. He is a Getty, after all. <laughs> he's absolutely 
filthy fucking rich. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's he, did far, he did far more than I would have done had I been a Getty. <laughs> yeah. I'd have just been at home getting sucked off by my nanny. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean the thing is as well uh, he is so young looking in this like so so young he's so fresh faced um, and it is a, a kind of blinking you miss him part so I'm glad no, we spent like, so much time talking about it uh, yeah I know I know but uh, see it, it then leads into the second best bit in the film um, so yeah she's boning him in the hood of the car and uh, she starts getting flashbacks to her dad and all this kind of stuff he then recognises her as being Mallory um, is it Knox the second name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky and Mallory Knox. I yeah. Like you're Mallory Knox and all this. She That's where the Welsh band it. gets her name from. Remember the Welsh band? Oh, of course. Was Mallory yeah, Knox. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Mallory Knox. Yeah. Um, and she freaks out at this point, kind of throws him off, then just shoots the shit off, <laughs> and she's storming out, having just killed him. She's screaming about it's the worst goddamn head I've ever got in my fucking life. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I I stopped for a while here to masturbate quite vigorously for <laughs> quite a long time. Uh, God damn. Uh, dare you then I'd give you fucking head. Anyway, um <laughs> next day. We get introduced to another one of the main characters in the movie who actually is quite a bit going by, I suppose, before he comes in, which is Jack Scagnetti. Great name. Played by the fucking coke-addled Tom Sizemore. Who, yeah, he came back once, once again, linking things up, most recently appeared in the new season of Twin Peaks. And that guy... Oh, is, yeah, that guy is aged... So fucking much. That's oh, yeah, there's yeah. a poster. There's the poster for this is what will happen when you live the drug life. Yeah, or crippling addiction will do that shit. Oh, to you, man. fucking! He looked. He looked so so old, and he's not that old. And he was doing everything at this time period. Uh, ninety four. He is in Heat. I think Heat's ninety four. Right. Michael Mann's Heat, where he's fucking big part in that, plays a crazy role in that. But I I love him. Yeah, yeah, I think he's yeah. fucking great, and I love this character. Piece of shit cop. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You're going to love my nickname for him coming up quite soon because didn't go too heavy on the nicknames in this review. Yeah, I did notice this. Best one's coming. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Jack's again. He's he's investigating the killing in the garage kind of thing. Um, he's a big kind of like celebrity cop type mm-hmm. thing. He's written a book and all this. Uh, Scagnetti on Scagnetti, I think it's called, or something like that. Yep. Uh, there, there's a fucking tremendous bit where he pulls one of Mallory's pubes out of fucking Balthazar's mouth. Dale, you, you, you wouldn't have been able to get that pube out my dead, clenched jaws. <laughs> and I'm, I'm taking that one in the coffin with me. You can fuck off, Scagnetti. Eh. Uh, Mickey and Mallory drive into the desert again, and this time they decide to do mushrooms because, you know, the last fucking desert scene ended so well for everybody. Uh, and they're going to do it to a soundtrack of Nine Inch Nails. Nice. No, no doubt gave you just a massive stoner. Well, this is from it's from your favourite Nine Inch Nails. Well, granted, it's the only one you've listened to, but you're from your favourite Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> the, um, 
they fight like fuck and then they end up in this wee Native American guy's house trying to buy fucking petrol or gas as the Americans would call it. Yeah. Wee guys got a pet rattlesnake um, <laughs> which is not good when you are tripping balls and this lot are tripping balls at this point it has to be said. Yeah, they're high uh, more than just life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah they're high as fuck on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> just real fucking drug high. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and there's a fucking chat about demons which Mickey brings up later on just shut the fuck up Mickey um, <laughs> it, the old Indian guy tells me tells him a story about a woman who tries to save a snake which I think is him trying to warn Mallory away from Mickey mm-hmm. uh, Mickey has these crazy drug dreams about his kind of abusive parents who I don't think we'd seen up until this point Yep. You see there, he ends up freaking out and he shoots the old Indian guy. Which is what happens when you sleep with guns, America. Fucking get a grip. Yeah. Um, Not of a gun, though. Not of a gun. (laughs) Please. They're uh, they're freaking out because they've killed the old guy because he's like the only one that they didn't really want to kill because they felt that he'd been kind of good to them. Yeah. they then end up in the middle of like a fucking field of snakes and get all bit and shit. I'm not sure whether they actually do or whether this is just them tripping balls. Not sure. Well, yeah, there's no evidence later on that they're actually given an antidote. So I think yeah, right. yeah. Um, next scene's fucking great. <laughs> Big size queen. You like size it? queen, yes, Baz. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yes. Big size queen is coked out his immaculately waxed tits in a motel and he's got a hooker in there and he is wearing the most striking tiny black satin man thong. Yeah. That's the only way to describe it. Yeah. It's glorious. It's Glorious, and I am wearing one right now. Yes, ladies and gents. Um, he did not decide to wear trousers, which I, um, I did not. I'm just sat here on my couch, legs are kimbo. I was about to say, legs are up as well. Yeah, uh, just the little string is just disappearing up me. Um, <laughs> a lot of hair on show, it's got to be said. Yeah, this that's yeah. like for a second I thought like a hamster had got trapped in. You know, they been there I realised it was just your gooch. Yeah, yeah. Oh it's it's, it's wild in there, man. And that's fucking you... COVID for you. Uh, <laughs> if anybody in this world needs a waxing and a bleaching right about now, it's the baz. <laughs> that that's... glorious pink glow is gone. That's COVID for you. That's, that's COVID. That's for that's you. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't wearing man thongs before it hit. Here I am now. Tell you one thing. They're not doing my hemorrhoids any fucking thing. Oh, for fuck's sake, man. <laughs> I just thought you were oh, so yeah. great. So. No, no, no. That's enough ass chat for tonight, I think. Yes, we've hit our quota. We've, we've, we've definitely hit our quota. Um, yeah, so Big Size Queen, he's in this place with this hooker. It's a cracking shot of her straddling above. See quite a lot of her bush through her panties. <laughs> so uh, that makes up for the man thong. 
He then chokes her out. I'd, I'd have liked to have gone for a drink with this man. <laughs> Who knows for that night is going to take you. You know what I mean? He's a cop, he'll get you off. He will, he will, and then choke you out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mickey and Mallory drive to the drug zone, <laughs> which looks cool. Mm-hmm. Basically like a big supermarket just full of prescription drugs. They're trying to get some anti-venom for their possibly imaginary snake bites. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are still tripping hard, and there's a lot more Pink Floyd-type animation. Um, the wee drug zone employees watching a show about them uh, when Mickey turns up at the counter. Um, he's watching American Maniacs, He is watching American Maniacs, as everybody should be. Uh, he hits the old silent alarm. Mickey opens up, starts shooting fuckers. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the great bit where he runs out. He's just shouting to Mallory, I'll get the fucking snake juice or something like that. And then he runs out. His run is really comical. Mm-hmm. Quite a talent. Uh, but the cops are all outside waiting on them, so they've kind of they've kind of run out of luck by this point. They've got Mallory. Uh, there's a big fucking shootout in big size queens like that. Going to cut Mallory's tits off <laughs> if you don't surrender. I found that really funny. Yeah. I don't know why, and it is misogynistic in the extreme. But just that, yeah. uh, I'll cut her fucking tits off. This, and give them to you. This this uh, Oliver Stone movie here with its very poignant message has been lost in mass. You're yeah. you're what he's raging against. Yeah, oh, I know, I know, I know. I'm the victim here, Duncan. I'm the victim. I'm the victim of society and the media. He's well. The thing is, as well, like and tits and tits uh, to, to <laughs> double to double down on size queen's threat. I can't believe her. I'll never be able to look at him the same way again. No. You fucking ruined that for me. Size uh, queen. Uh, to, to double down on that one where he's like you know he won't do it because he's a cop and all the rest just openly cuts her underneath the tit he gives her a wee underboob slash yeah. I, I just nice. cuts her there and then you realise this guy is unhinged Baz yes he is he is um... mm. oh where the fuck are oh I've written it right Juliet Lewis in this scene is absolutely fucking feral it's almost kind of in the back, but as he drags her forward to kind yep. of threaten to do this to Mickey, if you actually watch her, she is going absolutely insane. So Ice Queen must have been like that. Will you fucking calm down? You, <laughs> I need to deliver a line here where you just yeah. fucking chill out. Sure, I'm, I'm sure. not actually going to cut your breast off. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I have surreptitiously slipped my hand under your blouse and had an inappropriate feel, but it's the 90s and it ain't me too yet, Hen. So I'm just going to tweak it, tweak, tweak, yeah, I'm, and I'm move on. Hundred percent sure, size queen was delivering a line, Baz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like off of her nips. <laughs> and for any clarification and avoidance of doubt, yes, when I tweak my wife's nipple, I do go tweak, tweak. It's just a thing, okay? I like it. Her, not so much. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm going to need to try that now. Oh, I am going to get in so much trouble. Yeah, the next time we do, the next time we do a record, you're gonna have a fucking black eye. Yeah, 
Yep. And so I, anything and exciting happened to you in the last week? Any movies watched? No, Duncan. Yeah. Uh, I kind of see it. This <laughs> a very big black eye and a very fucking big absence of tits in my life. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Juliet Lewis, absolutely feral in this scene. It's brilliant. Uh, the whole thing is kind of live streamed on the news. Mm-hmm. There's like this little Asian newscaster chick doing something Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's basically going like that. Mickey's so horny and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't think that's actually what she says. That's me doing the fucking you make me so horny thing. Mm-hmm. Failed miserably on all levels. Um, so angry Mickey kind of surrenders to them, but then he pulls a blade out and then gets fucking tasered half to death. Uh and the cops, which once again my phone has written as chips. If anybody remembers from the last fucking thing, mm-hmm. need to do a fucking movie with less cops in it because my phone can't cope with it. I'm so glad that we didn't pick the the, the subject matter of serial killers, <laughs> <laughs> for that might come up a lot. <laughs> um, cops beat the shit out of Mickey, and that is there's a very kind of half-time feel. At this point in this movie. And interestingly, in the the little uh, independent cinema in Danoon, certainly at this time, they still had an intermission of all the movies. And the girl would come out with a tray with ice creams. So I've got myself a little cornetto at this point in time. Flavour of choice, Baz? Strawberry. Because only a fucking pervert would eat that nut thing. (laughs) That's... Halfway to being dog food. It looks like it's been rolled in win a lot. Fucking no thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It's a year later. (laughs) Uh, One year later. Size Queen's visit in the jail that Mickey and Mallory are being held in. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones is the warden. Tommy it's Lee Jones is brilliant in this. It's just like, once again, well, Tommy Lee Jones, what I, I love is, like, I love Tommy Lee Jones, but after The Fugitive, right, like, right after <laughs> The Fugitive, for the most part, Tommy Lee Jones was fucking shit hot. Could do whatever ah. he wanted and want one him. And, um, but I think he, he unfortunately got typecast into some performances. Uh, in the late half of the nineties, certainly in the two thousands, um, like when we did Two Face and stuff like that in the Batman movie. Yeah, it was just like it was a very a, a hot commodity, right? Uh, and as a result, I think he's in movies that he shouldn't be in. You know what I mean? You know, like I mean? Two Face in the Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's doing roles that he maybe shouldn't do, and um, his two appearances here in the Oliver Stone movies, which are what, like what, two three years apart, like he plays like. Like openly homosexual character in the in, JFK in movie. JFK, yeah. Fucking brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And then in This Is the Warden, he is fucking brilliant. Yeah. And it's once again, it's a stark reminder of how versatile he is because those roles could not be any different if they tried. Yeah. And I think he is. I want the moustache, I want the haircut, I want to be able to wear the clothes that he can wear and not look like a dickhead. Yeah, that's it's, all I want, Baz. It's the the 
the the manicness if that is a word mm-hmm. that oh, it portrays at, at points in this um, one of the things I, I specifically didn't include in my note but i'm going to fucking talk about it it has these little like pincer caliper it's things the greatest thing but he grabs cons by the nose mm-hmm. them. yep to, to basically keep them like to keep to basically keep them in order which yeah. i think that's such a weird it's such a weird detail it is but so you see him do it on one of the cons at one mm-hmm. point in this. But there's a bit later on where Mickey's getting That's interviewed right. and, then and Mickey kind of startles everybody and he rises to his feet, flailing madly to get this little thing out and it's just the best. It's one of those little bits in movies that occasionally I'll just see this little two, three second bit and just rewind it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and the same because um, like, you think he, you, the way he's panicking, you think he's reaching for a gun, but comes out with yeah. we clutch. He's got his wee fucking pincers. Um, <sighs> yeah, right. So, Size Queen's visiting the jail. Big Tommy Lee's the warden. Mickey and Mallory, I think it rhymes off. They've killed about eight people in the jail since they got there. Kind of thing. That like, Tommy Lee hates them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes on about how they're the worst degenerate scum he's ever come across and blah 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 um, he's southern as fuck in this film as well he really is he's never ha- he's never been as southern as this until you watch No Country for Old Men <laughs> like, yeah. which I like to think is his character years on <laughs> um, and basically the whole prison's like a kind of powder keg just ready to blow um, Tommy Lee's wanting them out so he's arranged to have them transferred to a kind of mental facility and he's brought size Queen in to transport them. Mm-hmm. Jason Statham, their ass. And uh, they, I have never seen any of those transporter movies, so if that fucking quick didn't work, I apologise. I mean, he drives criminals, but he is a criminal, so... <laughs> so. Right, well, well, in fairness... Let's skip on. Well, in fairness, can we say that size Queen is a good guy in this movie? Murdered some folk. That's true. Yeah, so he's a cri- no, Baz. I'm going to say that's a fucking great comparison. Yeah, yeah. Well thank done. you. Well thank done, you. Baz. I thought so. Yes. Um. And but the plan is that he's going to kill them. Wink, you know, wink, nudge, nudge. Because he's a celebrity yeah, yeah. cop. And no one will question him. And if anything, he's doing he's doing the world a favor. He's standing up for justice. God damn um, American way. American way. That's right. Oh, say can't you see? I'm not a very good singer. You were channeling um, your Aguilera there, I loved it. It was. I'd like to channel something. Um, <laughs> wait, do you know... I actually caught myself the other day fucking watching some of her videos on YouTube like the back in the 90s. What the? Dirty is maybe the greatest oh. music video ever fucking made. Oh, yes. <laughs> You're right there. Oh, that fucking Lady Marmalade one that she done. Heaven's a bum. Yeah. Oof! <laughs> Having a moment. Uh, Wayne Gale's in the prison. Big fucking Robert Downey. Good eye. Yep. Uh, he's meeting with Mickey to try and arrange like a follow-up episode of American Maniacs. Uh, he then kind of—I don't know if this was his original plan or if it kind of 
came to him as they're talking, but he basically wants to do a live interview with Mickey on the air before they're kind of shipped off um, to this other facility. Mickey goes for it. It's also it's Super Bowl day. We're going to run it after. Time, the, yeah, yeah, our halftime already. I think it's after the game after, or something. Yeah, yeah. We're going to roll into it kind of thing. Um, Which seems weird. Like, like that. You know what? We're going to watch the football and then right after it, we're going to chat with the most dangerous man in America. That I mean, doesn't that, sound weird to me at all. That sounds exactly like what fucking American people would do. Yeah, but that'd be like over here, it'd be like you watching, like, the, and I'll get the reference right, the FA Cup. And then right after it, them having an interview with Bronson. <laughs> like, I mean, that's... Uh... Oh, are you fucking cat? You know what I mean? <laughs> when did I watch English football? <laughs> you, you would never? No, I don't, like no. I don't like English football. The Scottish Cup, then. That, well done, Duncan. That's an actual name of something. I just guessed that. <laughs> I literally just guessed that and, and now I'm impressed with myself Well done Duncan The Gold Cup of Scotland <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I've written here Mickey's narrating a letter to Mallory and she's dancing in her cell Who cares, there's nothing funny about that I'd obviously mm-hmm. dried up by this point uh, Gail is setting up the show um, We see some footage from Mickey and Mallory's trial Mm-hmm uh, so the crowds outside some are cheering them some are demanding that they're killed and cops are attacking them for what they did to the cops and all that kind of stuff uh, Wayne Gale's having an affair which is quite funny because there's this ongoing bit he's basically doing two phone calls at a yeah. time one to his wife telling him that there's fucking, he's not having an affair and the other one to his mistress saying wife's on his and all this it's yeah. fucking great Um. Mickey shaves his head, which is very effective because he looks fucking mental after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Big Tommy Lee goes round the studio taking away all possible weapons. He finds he's a, a sh- goddamn professional. He finds I, I love like the pencil I understand, but he lifts up a potty plant and removes a shiv. Yeah, and I'm just like, is that where we keep our shivs? <laughs> Like, in, so. the, in the potted plant, he's like, "Ah, you, did you check the plant? No, shiv." And and they lift the pencil. He's like, "God damn amateurs here!" <laughs> that is a sharp motherfucking pencil, by the way. It is. It is. Um, the interview kicks off. Uh, Mickey gets questioned about his dad, and we then see a flashback. We've seen glimpses of his mum and dad before, but we now see his dad shooting himself. Yep. Um. Which are almost kind of trying to again, it's this kind of humanizing the characters, so you know they're bad for a reason. Yep, um, Gail has been really OTT at this point, but there is a bit with his, his producer, uh, the woman that's playing his producer, she gives him a kind of signal basically going like, You're going too far, mate, the coke's kicked in. <laughs> um, which is great, and and then there's because he starts fucking banging on about Grenada. Mm-hmm. I was there at Grenada when shit went down and all this, and I laughed and <laughs> laughed at this point. And here's the reason why. I know the reason why, but I want to hear it again. My mate Gay here, <laughs> Mark, is the son of a, a U.S. Navy man. Now, his, his old man was Jerry. Was his first name. 
Jerry was in Vietnam. It used to go on about being in Vietnam. Like Jerry was in like a boat, like fifteen mile off the fucking shore of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Although you'd think he was deep in the shit from the way he used to go on about it, kind of thing. Not that I am decrying any veterans for what they did, but if you knew Jerry, this would make you laugh. Anyway, Mark was one of three boys, and the eldest one was also called Jerry after his dad, and he was the only one of the three to go into the military. But young Jerry went into the, the US Air Force and um, the only kind of active service that he saw was in Grenada and he used to fucking go on about it and Mark just used to rip the pish. <laughs> was there not like about eight people in Grenada, Jerry? And six of them were Americans already. Do you know what I mean? So really the two fucking Grenadian people <laughs> that you shot... Like, Jerry was basically put, put in... Because while he was in the Air Force, he wasn't a pilot. He was, like, ground kind of oh, yeah, yeah. crew type thing. Um, so he was sent in, and I think he was to, like, guard the, the, the runways and that at the airport. Nobody in Grenada can fly a goddamn plane, Jerry. It's only Americans flying into Grenada. Who are you guarding against here? <laughs> the janitor, Jerry? <laughs> fucking Grenada what a shit invasion and we had the Falklands do you know what I mean yeah anyway let's not get started now (laughs) Um, aye fucking RDJ full of the coke Uh, Mickey's just talking a load of this pseudo-intellectual fucking pish at this point about wolves and deer and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, however, express regret over the old Indian man and mentions the old Indian man having seen this demon fucking shite that we'd heard earlier on. Um, starts getting on about fucking shadows and all sorts of stuff. And you know about how much he loves Mallory. I, I didn't give a fuck about any of this. Um, <laughs> the show, uh, the show cuts to like a commercial break. Big size queen goes into Mallory's cell. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of trying to get into her head. No, that gives her a cigarette. He's like, she'll never fuck Mickey again. And then, just especially for fucking Quentin, uh, Mallory puts a fag out with her bare foot. Tarantino must just have blurted everywhere at that fucking yeah. point, eh? Skeet, skeet, skeet. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me see the fucking bumped welt on the fucking sole of your foot now, Juliet. Eh? Um, back in the interview, the Mickey's banging on about being a fucking superior species and the purity of murder and all this kind of horse shit. Mm-hmm. And we get, but we do get the line at this point about him being a natural born killer, which is obviously where the film gets his name from. Uh, and for some reason, this line sparks a riot in one of the cell blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Tommy Lee thunders into action at this point, <laughs> shuts shit down. Period. Boom. Shut yep. down. Uh, tells Gail to kill the interview. Gail's going fucking nuts. Um, so during this kind of enforced break, uh, Mickey's holding court with everybody there, even the guards and that, telling this fucking joke, which uh, it finishes with this terrible impersonation of him doing a wank, which I can't get out of my head. 
But yeah, but be, and as he hits the punchline, he grabs a shotgun off of one of the guards and just kills every cunt in the room. But not every cunt, but mm-hmm. a lot of them. Um, it takes the sort of survivors hostage uh, and goes to get Mallory. Prison's going fucking insane. Big Gale's still broadcasting. They've got one of the camera guys with like a shoulder-mounted camera thing. Um, nowadays, you could have done it on a phone. Good, done it there on a go. phone, Baz. Um, back in the sale, Mallory's got old size queen quite worked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's looking for a little strangle wank, and then, uh, and then when he doesn't get one, he just beats the shit out of her. Um, oh no, sorry, she beats the shit out of she, him. Yeah, she hammers him. The guards, uh, the guards burst in to save him, and he gets up raging. Whips out a can of mace and spends like the next fifteen minutes or so just firing fucking mace directly into your eyes. Mm-hmm. It's horrendous looking. Um, news shows like all over the country are now just cutting to Gail's live feed, if you like, from the mm-hmm. jail. Uh, there's a big shootout in Mallory's cell, and it ends like with a Mexican standoff between Mickey and its ice cream. Uh, and then Mallory jumps in, fucking plunges him, as we would say in the west coast of Scotland, stabs him in the neck. Uh, and then there's this like over the OTT kind of romantic reunion between her and Mickey. Um, big Tommy Lee's just lost all control in the prison. Uh, there's a kind of running gun battle now between Mickey and Mallory and the guards. <laughs> fucking way, big Wayne Gale just goes nuts. And joins in on the side of Mickey and Mallory. Just starts Flashback, fucking... Flashbacks to Grenada, Buzz. God damn. Just starts shooting at the cops and the prison guards and all that. Brilliant. Um, to meet this other prisoner who wants to help them escape. I, I was just left with the feeling that this guy had a much, much bigger part in this film that they just ended up in the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be. Because he, he springs out of nowhere. He has quite a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. And then vanishes. Disappears, yeah. Uh, that's quite odd. Um, they end up sort of trapped in a room. Uh, Tommy Lee's got a team ready to take them down. Mallory's been shot. Uh, and I've written here at this point, the film, it does a really good job of making you, as the viewer, side with Mickey and Mallory here, mm-hmm. like they're the heroes in this. Um, and not in that kind of anti-hero way, like they are actually the heroes of the piece mm-hmm. and you want them to kill all of these prison guards and escape kind of thing. It's, it's really quite well done. Um, Mallory says she wants to go in a, a hail of bullets. Uh, Big Wayne Gale leaves his wife over the phone during all of this. Brilliant. Class. That that's how you leave an unhappy relationship. You know what I mean? I'm fairly sure he also fucking phones his mistress and says that he's gonna stick a hot pepper up her ass. Uh, yeah. I mean he's in the shit now, but as you mentioned. Yes, well... deep in it, and I am I am going to try that. <laughs> Although Not after the I... nipple tweak. No, and I suspect I'll have to try it on myself first, so I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but you never know. 
Um, horses for courses, as they say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a suitable fucking throwaway saying to chuck in there. Probably not. Um, they then they, they use Gale and the, one of the prison guards as human shields and force their way out, which I fucking loved. And I've written here that Tommy Lee Jones turns into the Riddler at this point. He doesn't, because he didn't play the Riddler. That was Jim Carrey. Yes. He turns into Two-Face at this point. Um, like, and, and he goes to the fucking colour of Two-Face. Yeah. Like when he's screaming the fucking bulging veins on his neck and all that. Amazing. Um, the prison basically gets overrun now by this point, and Mickey and Mallory escape in all of the chaos. Uh, they get into Gail's TV van and then make it to the sort of woods. Uh, they're still broadcasting on his... He's still got the camera thing. They're still broadcasting on that. Uh, and there's like an impromptu interview. Um, Mallory's going on about how the events... Fate has brought them back together. Wants to have fucking kids at this point. Mm-hmm. Mental. Yeah. Absolute danger, right? you just don't know if she's going to fuck you stab you put things in you and and do you know what I would not care I know I was about to say you're so happy right now I would would get like a little you know the spinner out of Twister and just have like pump peg stab piss on Dealer's choice. I don't and think. I just, I just put it down on the ground and flick the wee spinner and then go to town hen. I don't think Bazzy's version of Twister would be suitable for Ann Summers. No, not at all. Far too much stabbing involved. <laughs> Strangle wank. I'd put that in, you know. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, I've just come up with a great visual for our Instagram feed. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, once they've finished all this, they shoot Gail. And then they walk off to Nine Inch Nails and a montage of actual news footage from round about that time. So we've got like the Branch Davidian compound in Waco. Oh, yeah. All, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is this is Stone just letting you know, just in case you hadn't picked it up, Baz, that sometimes art imitates life. It does, and he's edgy enough to just throw it in your face. Yeah. Um, it then finishes working a home movie type thing of them driving in like a big Winnebago. They've got two kids. Mm-hmm. Mallory's pregnant. Um, it's coupled together with kind of older clips of them. I actually find that last scene a bit more kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I wish they hadn't included that. Yep. And, and just kind of finished. Maybe it would have been too cheesy to finish in all of the fucking news clip montages, I suppose. But um, I don't know. That... Like the the, the 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 Black Klansman, um, which is obviously Spike Lee's movie. Yeah, I watched that recently. Actually, yeah, oh, that movie just finishes with you know, just in case you think that. You know the the clan are gone and all the rest. Well, look, boom, yeah, uh, and all that. And I I found that like at the time I actually found that when we saw it at the cinema, I found it too on the nose at the end. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but having since watched it since it came over onto, I think it's on Netflix. Um, yeah. I actually really like that choice, and I'm with you on that one. I think the kind of and the all the tap lever after ending is not befitting of what you've seen in the movie. But maybe what yeah. the, maybe what he's trying to do by that point is like you say, there's a point where you shift over to being 100 percent with them, so yeah. it gives them the happy ending. It gives them the happy ending kind of thing, yeah, mm-hmm. and almost the the absurdity of it, the yeah, the fame and celebrity that they garnered granted them the life that they wanted, yeah, or something like that. Bollocks, fuck it. Um, so then I've just got a few lines of notes. Um, this is a, I've read a decent movie. It's a very good film. It has its flaws, mm-hmm. but overall, a decent movie. And it, for a film that was such a just icon of its time, I think that it still stands up surprisingly well. I think it stands up more now. <laughs> yeah. Possibly because of the, not to get into politics, but like the absurd fucking state that America has got itself into mm. with that fucking arsehole <laughs> in charge. Um, and there, there's a, a lot of stuff from that period in the 90s that doesn't really wash now. Mm. When you see it back, or, or it, it almost feels like nostalgia TV watching it. And this doesn't feel like that at all. Probably because of the kind of quirky way it's filmed. Yeah. Um, probably helped with that. There's a throwaway um, line in here from Robert Downey Jr. where he says that he's friends with Bill Clinton. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm friends with, like, and if you remember, like, 94, Clinton was, like, up to his tits and scandal, not the oh, Lewinsky oh, st- oh, scandal. Oh. He was up, it was a property scandal. It was what, yeah. what, what, not, not Watergate. What, no, it wasn't Watergate. It was Waterfront. It was a Waterfront development property thing that was the scandal. I can't remember what it was called now. It's going to fucking annoy me, but they did have gate in the title. But he was... Start Googling and I'll start talking. Yeah. Um... I've written here, I can see why so many people were pissed off at the time of release, for the varying reasons I discussed earlier, but I, I actually think, had I gone to see it at the time, I don't think I would have liked it. I don't think I would have liked it the way I like it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm almost kind of glad that um, I didn't watch it back then, because I could see, I could have seen making a go, and like, what the fuck's that I love Lucy about? about? Why is it half it in black and white? Why is it all grainy? <laughs> It was white water, by the way. White water scan. White water, there we go. See, I knew it had water somewhere in it. No, you said gate. I will retract Just... that and edit it in such a way that makes me sound smarter. Uh, um, it's like a It's an interesting precursor to the celebrity culture mm-hmm. because 94, 95, I don't think the celebrity culture as we know it now and have had for the last kind of 10 to 15 years had really taken off just quite yet it was there in its fledgling state and this was a kind of real good premonition of where it would end up you know we hadn't had Big Brother by this point we hadn't had those fucking idiot Kardashians or anything like that you know but uh, it's almost uncanny just some of the things that it touches on 94 is a weird fucking year, man. I think you already touched on the fact Kurt Cobain 
killed himself in the April. In the June, you've got the Bronco chase with OJ Simpson. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So same time period. So like, like Natural Born Killers feels like it's burst out of that. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's almost like the it's almost it's almost on some level Oliver Stone's um, knee jerk reaction to what he's seeing. What was going on right yeah, then, yeah. and yeah. what it might become. And like you say, I think weirdly enough, a lot of that's kind of bore out. Weirdly, yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and my final note is that the soundtrack is great. Uh, primarily because it's got James Addiction in it. They were touring with Nine Inch Nails, I want to say, in 93, 94, so... Well, it's Penny Farrell that uh, put on Lollapalooza. Yes, he loved Nine Inch Nails. Um, so. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, to me, like I say, I've got a couple of... On this watch, being a bit more critical, um, there was a lot that I, I started to pick out as quite interesting. Um, I think just in general, I think the the fact that jump styles so much, I think, is to indicate how Americans hop channels. Um, no. As my, my theory, like specifically the different styles, you know what I mean? Like sitcom. Now we're watching like a Gone with the Wind thing. Now we're watching the news. Oh, and it's it's cops. And now we're watching just that idea, the the kind of channel hopping and the jarring. Like nature of how you know when, when she start getting a lack of interest, it's like you can channel it, which is more nowadays than ever before. So I, I started picking up stuff for that. Obviously, the idea of like the effect of OJ, I think, has a huge impact on this. And um, the fact that we're showing you because like '94 is once again, it's just before things go full on with the like OJ changes the landscape in terms of how they report crime but the shot footage at the end of I want to say that was one of the Mendoza brothers um, at the end uh, uh, that killed their parents yeah I think that's the court footage of one of them um, and then you know he's, he's like the Waco and all the rest and all this thing about like look how violent our TV now is and we've mm. got, we do glorify it and his style, and to be honest with you, even his idea of kind of serial killer worship or serial killer culture, um, as well, it's interesting that you know even um, Mickey would say in the movie that he's not a serial killer; he's a he's a mass killer. I think he's what mm-hmm. he calls himself. Um, but he keeps getting referred to as that as just this way of, and I mean, even the Gale character himself is like that. Listen, you know, the ratings wise, you were like the top. Uh-huh. And um, and then they list off the other ones. They're like no, no, no. So it's cynically, he's there for the ratings, and you know yes. he's he's unabashedly like upfront about that with with Knox. And I think that's really interesting. So there's, I think Overstone, my my my, where the movie kind of falls a little bit is I think he does have a really interesting concept in this movie, and like I say, one that is definitely more prescient nowadays. But I think. There's, a, I don't think there's a subtlety in the way he directs, and I think the movie is overbearing in its visual style, coupled with its message. Whereas I think if the message is a bit more hidden and the visual style is more prominent, I think that has an effect. Or vice versa, if it's more subtle but the the story itself, its its um, specific meaning is a bit more upfront, I think that that also works quite well. But when they're married together in such a way. I, I, like parts of this movie literally felt like someone was shouting at me um, <laughs> like, I really really did it just felt like you know 
Uh, you know, violence begets violence, regardless if it's on TV and real life. It just felt like it was so mm-hmm. oppressive in parts. Um, and I think, once again, maybe that's because tel- television violence or the reporting of television violence um, is so oppressive and you can't switch it off unless you switch the TV off. And maybe that's his message. Um, mm-hmm. I, what I thought it stood up really fucking well, though. Um, acting's brilliant. It's quirky in a way that I can kind of get behind. I now look at a movie like this and I'm surprised that people felt that it was glorifying violence. Mm-hmm. Then, considering what we now watch fucking now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it is not that bad. Um, and I know a lot of it was cut out and Oster Stone has a director's cut of this, I believe. I've never watched it. Um, but I can't imagine they're shoving in tons more violence. It just feels weird that that's the, the sticking point that people... It makes sense. This is like back during the whole like kind of right to censor and, you know, we've got parental guidance on fucking, like, on CDs and we're really doubling down on violent video games and violent culture and all the rest. I can kind of get that to an extent that maybe that's why it gets caught up. There are more violent movies than this um, out about this time period, so I'm surprised this is what we ultimately... But I think it's because it's Oliver Stone. And because yeah. it's a big movie, and because it's big named actors are in it, and it's it's the specific. If this movie had been shot like an art house movie, Baz, there would not be this backlash. If this movie no. was shot like a conventional movie, there would not be this backlash. But because it is so heavily ingrained with pop culture references from start to finish, uh-huh. I think I think very much like how everyone got swept up. And to be honest, you hit the nail on the head when you start reeling against this movie, saying it's dangerous. Kids are going to watch it. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. So I, think I mean, I almost that. think it's not necessarily the levels of violence in the film. Mm. It's the the concept of glorifying violence. So I'm yeah. not saying that the film itself glorifies violence. Yeah. But it introduces this concept of glorifying violence and people being seen as popular and attractive because they are violent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you know, what, you're a couple of years removed from this coming out before, what, like four years after this, Sopranos comes on TV and gives you yeah, Tony Soprano, that, yeah. the, you know, the, the likeable <laughs> the likeable mo- mafia yeah. boss who goes around just fucking murdering people. Yeah. And then a couple of years on from that, Dexter, the sympathetic serial killer who murders, you know, like, so culture definitely is, head. It was definitely heading that way. And Stone, weirdly, is kind of... A little bit ahead of his time, possibly. I think so. I think if that movie... I think now, though, if that movie comes out as Tired Hat, it would be considered woke if it came out now. Yeah. You know, if someone yeah. made this movie... The nearest comparison I could think of, and it's a fucking amazing movie, um, is Assassination Nation. Um, uh, I've never seen that. I loved it. I fucking loved it. But it's, like, all about... Um, like social media and American violence and all the rest ingrained together um, and it does a lot of that and it's very loud as well and very bright um, and it's considered incredibly woke um, oh, so oh. I think there's that aspect as well I don't know it's, it's, it's a weird time capsule of a movie like yeah. straight, like strange, like even the, like the choice of music the, the way it's shot the way the actors look I mean like fucking Woody Harrelson still has hair I mean, that's, yeah. you know what I mean? Although he's starting to thin up top. He's you actually so see that thinning. 
he's so thinning in this like movie already and I feel so sorry for him uh, but Juliette Lewis is young and fresh faced and it's it's, it's a weird little bubble and whilst I don't I when I saw this the first time I fucking thought it was the tits I was all over this movie I thought it was brilliant and just maybe not necessarily picking up on its central messages but just thought it was like this fucking great movie that spoke to me and the stuff that I was watching, the stuff I was interested at the time. And now looking at it back, that stuff is less effective on me, but the message is more important. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you preferred it, you know, if you preferred it now than you did back then, but it almost sounds like you like it in a different way. Completely different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, When I I saw this, I I was like a teenager. Yeah, because I mean, I'd only been in my kind of early 20s. Yeah. At I'd the have time. Been 94, uh, 94, I'd just left high school. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't see this movie until I was a bit older as well. Interestingly enough, I'd already seen fucking Last House on the Left and <laughs> I Spit in Your Grave. Yeah, by that point. So, mm. um, but I hadn't seen this movie uh, and didn't see it a couple of years later. And like I say, I, I think. Interestingly, the stuff that I liked as a teenager was all the visual stuff. The visual stuff and the violence, to be honest. Um, Which is probably the message here. Uh, Mm. And as an adult, now revisiting it, the stuff I appreciate more is the message. Um, Even though I do think it's a bit bit too preachy, a bit too waving the finger. And I don't necessarily know if Oliver Stone is just using it as an idea board or if he genuinely thinks that this is something we should be concerned about because I'm, I am the, the product of, you know, like we were joking about, I'm the product of violent cinema, violent media, violent video games, obsession with serial killers, yeah. like obsessed with true crime. I've never fucking hurt anyone. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, unless, unless you count my voice on a podcast over thousands of hours, like pain. <laughs> I imagine yeah. probably they, they probably play podcast under the state. Me reviewing like a Jalo movie to fucking. And Tannen will be fucking like, hostages. <laughs> like the plural put that. And now he's going to talk about blood on Satan's claw for an hour. <laughs> this this is a metaphor for you know the 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 disembarkation of the rural communities. Oh, make it stop! I'll tell you. The, yeah, I, but I, like I, I like for for every and once again you think about it. The, the the ideas put in this movie. Let's see, it comes out and comes out well ninety four. Five years later, America has Columbine, so oh. it's fucking. You think like the nineties are the fucking weird, weird fucking decade in America, yeah. and Oliver Stone is a weird, weird part of that. And I think that's it's what makes the movie really, really, really interesting as a discussion point. Um, I don't think it all holds the thing is I don't think it all holds together I think there are flashes of fucking pure cinematic genius here and other bits that I think are ideas that don't like the cartoon stuff like they watch violent cartoons Yeah, I mean I, to me that's right I understand it but you bring it back four or five times I got the message earlier on um, and that's where I kind of it's like he's, he's he's trying to tackle too many techniques and that falls apart for me now. But at the time, I remember being like, "There's fucking cartoon like," and I was watching things like 
Akira back then. And, yeah, yeah. Like violent fucking like anime cartoons, and he's he's so I I mean I understand the idea behind that. I don't understand the repetitive use of that technique. If it is to be for channel hopping, then it's kind of cool, but overstays its welcome. Yeah. Um, it brings me to a, a question I need to ask you, Baz. Mm-hmm. Which is about a grade for this movie. Mm-hmm. Now, having finally ticked off your list um, and known the grading system under the stairs, one hated it, two didn't like it, three liked it, four really liked it, five loved it, point fives are acceptable. What do you give Natural Born Killers? I'm kind of hammering on about this as you were just talking there. Um, I think I'm coming down on a three, a very solid three, mm-hmm. but I don't really want to push it any higher. I gave Zodiac a four. Yep. Zodiac, I would class as a genuinely very, very good film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Natural Born Killers is close enough to that to want any higher than a three but as a film that i liked how much i would go back and watch it again i don't know mm-hmm. but that surprisingly is not because that it's dated it's more just i don't have other things to watch to be quite honest um what about yourself hey, i'm with you i'm a three uh, i'm a three with this one i liked to um i think it's a bit long uh, i don't think it merits being um, two hours or just under two hours in length at all um, and like I say I think there are flashes in here of what I would say is like auteur level filmmaking um, specifically like the, the weird like um, sitcom homage scene mm. which I think is uh, easily one of the most disturbing things yeah. um, not only in this movie but even in context for 94 is one of the more disturbing scenes Um like stuff like that, where I think it just works as a, as like a standalone kind of vignette. I think it's incredible, but as a whole package, it's a bit messy in bits. I'm the same as you. I don't know if I'll ever go back and watch this movie, and it's not because I dislike it. I just, mm-hmm. I, I've revisited it now. It actually has a different message for me and a different meaning because I'm a bit older. I don't think, like, if I ever watched this again, I would watch it like when I was like a senior citizen. You know, mm-hmm. an elder. I'd like to see if my opinion on the. I think you can only ever really watch a movie like this at prominent moments in your life where your life has changed. So from teenager to like parent, there's that you know, yeah. there's a marked shift in how you view the world from kind of like the age that I am now to being like retired or something like that. There's a marked change as well. You know that maybe revisiting a movie like this would would gleam a different opinion. I don't think it necessarily would. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly I, I, you know the podcast under the stairs is saying that if you've never seen it, you should go and check it out. I mean, that's hardly yeah, a hot take. Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, it's hardly a hot take. It's considered you know an influential movie of the time. I think it was it was on um, it was you know lists of prominent movies from that decade. And that, I, I that, seg- that segues me in rather nicely to the, the one question I had remaining: Did did this feature in your nineties summer top tens? No, and was that because it wasn't classed as a horror film? Was it discussed at all as being a contender? No, it wasn't even wasn't even brought up. And I would have, I mean, I would have loved to hear hear the argument about it being a horror movie because there mm. are other movies which the nineties is the first decade, notably where 
there is a blurring of the lines between what is classed as a horror and what is like a thriller or what is what silence of the lambs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. what was dealing with darker subject matter. Um and you can make a case for, for certain movies. And certainly we had to do it on on that series where certain movies you like the massive conversation about whether the crow is an action movie mm-hmm. which contains horror elements or is it a horror movie that contains action elements mm-hmm. um and you know my opinion on the crow is it's a action movie that contains some horror elements i would never class it as a horror movie and this kind of sits in the same bubble whilst it deals with serial killers which generally defaults into horror territory serial killer yeah. movies tend to be classed as horror movies um, there isn't like even the violence in this movie is like you were talking about the even at the beginning here the, the opening scene is done in a kind of comic book fashion with the bullet and the, oh. the knife and stuff like that which I think sets the tone for the movie and whilst yeah, the movie itself does kind there's of a, there's a definite cartoonish element to the whole thing yeah. and, and the fact which takes it takes the edge off the violence, which is odd considering the reaction this film got at yeah. the time. Yeah, I th- well, I think if it's a horror movie, it's easier to it's easier to quantify dis- disliking a movie and chalking it up to what's well, just another one of those horror movies. If it's a mainstream movie, though, then the difficulty becomes how you how it might affect like horror movies are only seen by a certain demographic a movie like Natural Born Killers like you like you rightly pointed out the fact that Tarantino's name is even remotely associated with this in 1994 well, the zeitgeist was incredible like yeah. the thing yeah I mean like it, so yeah people are going to go and see this movie and as a result you get a bigger you always get a bigger backlash for mainstream cinema doing things that are considered edgier than you do genre cinema doing things that are considered edgy Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, and that is ju- that is literally just the way it operates, and I can I can kind of see that. I would never. I mean, I would like I say, I would love to hear someone argue that this is a horror movie. I would never consider it a horror movie, and to be honest, I would consider you'd have to come at it from a really interesting angle as to how you think this movie could be considered. There. That being said, though. Um, in terms of its purpose on podcasts under the stairs, I've reviewed movies that aren't horror movies on this show. Um, and the theme here is serial killers. And this movie, maybe above all the other movies we're going to discuss, maybe, I mean, there's an interesting point with The House of Jack Built. We'll get to that next week. But maybe above all other movies in this one is the one that's maybe most pertinent to the series as a, as a whole, which is about you know, the consumption of violent media, specifically how we glorify, uh, weirdly glorify people that enact certain... Our fascination as humans will always turn to the macabre. And I think that, I think this movie is catered for podcasts under the stairs specifically because of that. So I, I think it's a fucking great choice. We had, as there's a reason, I mean, if if ever I was going to... we The listeners out there know I swapped one movie. Yeah. Um they might not know what the movie was, but they know that I swapped one movie. If I was at all concerned about the the impact on this show and its genre credentials or whatnot, um, this would have been the movie because the movie I swapped out is a horror movie. Um, So I kept in because I was interested to check it out, but I think there's a, 
there is a through line in discussion that's worthy having here. Um, and also, it, it still blew my mind. It shouldn't at this stage of our friendship that you'd never seen Natural Born Killers. Uh, I just like to me that's like knowing the time period and knowing what age you would have roughly been when it came out, and like I say, knowing that everyone fuck everyone in their auntie saw this movie. Um, you were their demographic. You were the key demographic for people for this movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad we watched it. I tell you right now, it reminded me that before he got fucked at his face on drugs, went to rehab and became like Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. is a fucking incredible actor. Absolutely. He's brilliant uh, in this movie. Like I say, I've got a couple of qualms with the accent and bits, but his performance front to back in this is, he almost, he all, I think in a lot of respects, he overshadows any other. And that's maybe, that's the genius of Oliver Stone's casting in all his movies, is there's no one great phenomenal performance it's even your like kevin costner is not amazing in gfk he's kevin costner but he's surrounded by some of the fucking best actors walking the planet at the time so he's fine like yeah he's fine it's the same here woody harrelson is a great actor i wouldn't say this is a great woody harrelson performance he does all right in it he's certainly a much better actor in movies surrounding it uh, Juliette Lewis, once again, great actress. I don't necessarily think her performance is fucking great, but the actors they're surrounded by are turning in fucking E-level performance. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the same like with Platoon. Yeah, you know what I mean, you've cast Charlie Sheen as your fucking your lead. Mm-hmm. That film. It's Charlie fucking Sheen, mm-hmm. but you've got Willem Dafoe in it. You've got Berenger in it. All these ones to carry you yeah. through, as you yeah. say. It's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need, man. There we go. Well, there we are, too. And we're still in the I like these movie grades, which is great. I am so fucking pensive about next week's episode, uh, but we'll get to that after our break. Uh, We're going to take our our final break of the show. When we come back, we're closing it out right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been of course Bazaween 2020 episode number two in the series looking at natural born killers Baz we are one week away from episode number three this was my substitution pick this is Lars Von Trier's The House That Jack Built Um, I am apprehensive that you are going to come back and shout at me um, and we will find out if that is the case in one week's time. Any trepidation to visit this movie considering your only other Von Trier movie was Antichrist? Yes, but <laughs> primarily because of that. Um, looking at the film and reading the synopsis of it, well, that looks quite interesting. I niche take on the whole thing mm-hmm. but then I, I do keep coming back to the fact that it's the guy that did Antichrist um, so I, I just suspect it's not going to be what I'm expecting at all and it's what way that's going to go I don't know but yes, yes, yes there is apprehension on my part because of who is directing it I like. I think you'll either really, really, really like it, or this just won't be your your particular brand of Java. Um, and either way, I'm 
you know, I think the conversation is going to be absolutely brilliant. And it has, once again, great performances in it. And this is Von Trier's first movie after the whole kind of being ostracised for being classed as a Nazi sympathiser. Um, so this was his first swing at things. And it was a, a very divisive movie to to put it bluntly so we'll see we'll see where we land the listeners won't have long to wait one short week um, as always with these episodes I'm going to forgo the where you can check us out and what's happening and all the rest because these episodes are all about the baz and not about anything else <laughs> he's also curated a little song for your listening pleasure at the end of this episode so as always baz the final word is with yourself would you like to say goodbye to our listeners please Certainly shall. Uh, thanks for tuning in again, folks. Hope you enjoyed that chat. Uh, I certainly had a, a real good time chatting about this film. Um, one that I'm pleased to have ticked off my list at long last. Uh, should have mentioned, uh, this film in the UK is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's the only one of the four that I didn't need to fucking buy without raking up that again. Um, so it's there for anybody with Prime it's there to check out um, and you can also pick copies up fairly cheaply nowadays kind of thing um, yeah had a blast tonight hope everybody else has enjoyed this show and we're looking forward to getting to the the nuts and bolts of the next one yeah, oh yes this is the house of Jeff Bill yo <laughs> it. oh I can't fucking wait Yes, a um, whole lot of Bowie as well in the movie, uh, which just does my fucking heart good. Love some David Bowie. Um, but yeah, we are going to be back in one week's time with more action with the Baz, reaching the halfway point of Bazoween 2020. Can you believe we're almost at the halfway mark already? Sad, Heartbreaking. Sad emoji. Um yeah, I will be back later on in the week with more podcast content. But until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourself out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off.
Just a 